Section 23 of The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrzej Zalewski. The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume 1. The Tilling Shaw Mystery by Ernest Brammer, Part 2. I am sorry that I had to leave you, said Miss Whitmarsh, returning. But Mrs. Lawrence is out, and my father made the practice of offering everyone refreshment. Don't mention it, said Carrados. We have not been idle. I came from London to pick up a scrap of paper lying on the floor of this room. Well, here it is. He rolled the tissue into a pellet again and held it before her eyes. The word, she exclaimed eagerly. Oh, that proves that I was right. Scarcely proves, Miss Whitmarsh. But it shows that one of the shots was a blank charge, as you suggested this morning might have been the case. Hardly even that. What then? she demanded with her large dark eyes fixed in a curious fascination on his inscrutable face that behind the couch we have found this scrap of powder singed paper there was a moment's silence the girl turned away her head i am afraid that i am a little disappointed she murmured perhaps better now than later i wish to warn you that we must prove every inch of ground does your cousin frank smoke cigarettes i cannot say mr carrados you see i knew so little of him quite so there was just the chance and your father he never did he despised them that is all i need ask you now what time tomorrow shall i find you in miss whitmarsh it is sunday you remember at any time the curiosity i inspire doesn't tempt me to encounter my friends i can assure you she replied her face hardening at the recollection but mr carrados yes the inquest is on monday afternoon i had a sort of desperate faith that you would be able to vindicate papa by the time of the inquest you mean yes otherwise the verdict of a coroner's jury means nothing miss whitmarsh it is the merest formality it means a very great deal to me it haunts and oppresses me if they say if it goes out that papa is guilty of the attempt of murder and of suicide i shall never raise my head again carrados had no desire to prolong a futile discussion good night he said holding out his hand good night mr carrados she detained him a moment her voice vibrant with quiet feeling I already owe you more than I can ever hope to express. Your wonderful kindness. A strange case, moralized Carrados as they walked out of the quadrangular yard into the silent lane. Instructive, but I more than half wish I'd never heard of it. The young lady seems grateful, sir, Parkinson ventured to suggest. The young lady is the case, Parkinson, replied his master rather grimly. A few score yards farther on, a swing gate gave access to a field path, cutting off the corner that the high road made with a narrow lane. This was their way. 
but instead of following the brown line of trodden earth carrados turned to the left and indicated the line of buildings that formed the back of one side of the quadrangle they had passed through we will investigate here he said can you see a way in most of the buildings opened onto the yard but at one end of the range parkinson discovered a door secured only by a wooden latch the place beyond was impenetrable dark but the sweet dusty smell of hay and from beyond the occasional click of a horse's shoe on stone and the rattle of a headstall chain through the manger ring told them that they were in the chaff pen at the back of the stable carrados stretched out his hand and touched the wall with a single finger we need go no farther he remarked and as they resumed their way across the field he took out a handkerchief to wipe the taste of white wash of his tongue madeline had spoken of the gradual decay of high barn but carrados was hardly prepared for the poverty-stricken desolation which parkinson described as they approached the homestead on the following afternoon he had purposely selected a way that took them across many of young whitmarsh's ill-stocked fields fields in which sedge and charlock wrote an indictment of neglected drains and half-hearted tillage on the land the gates and hedges had been broken and unkempt the buildings as they passed through the farmyard were empty and showed here and there a skeleton of bare rafters to the sky starved commented the blind man as he read the signs the thirsty owner and the hungry land they couldn't both be fed although it was afternoon the bolts and locks of the front door had to be unfastened in answer to their knock when at last the door was opened a shriveled little old woman rather wicked-looking in a comic way and rather begrimed stood there mr frank whitmarsh she replied to carrados's polite inquiry oh yes he lives here frank she called down the passage you want it what is it mother responded the man's full strong voice rather lazily come and see and the old creature ogled carrados with her beady eyes as though the situation constituted an excellent joke between them there was the sound of a chair being moved and at the end of the passage a tall man appeared in his shirt sleeves i am a stranger to you explained carrados but i am staying at the bridge inn and i heard of your wonderful escape on thursday i was so interested that i have taken the liberty of coming across to congratulate you on it oh come in come in said whitmarsh yes it was a sort of miracle wasn't it he led the way back into the room he had come from half kitchen half parlour it at least had the virtue of an air of rude comfort and some of the pewter and china that ornamented its mantelpiece and dresser would have rejoiced the collector's heart you find us a bit rough apologized the young man with something of contempt towards his surroundings we weren't expecting visitors and i was hesitating to come because i thought that you would be surrounded by your friends 
this very ordinary remark seemed to afford mrs whitmarsh unbounded entertainment and for quite a number of seconds she was convulsed with silent amusement at the idea shut up mother said her dutiful son don't take any notice of her he remarked to his visitor she often goes on like that the fact is he added we whitmarshes aren't popular in these parts of course that doesn't trouble me i've seen too much of things and taken as a boiling that whitmarshes deserve it eh wait till you touch the coal my boy then you'll see put in the old lady with malicious triumph i reckon we'll show them then eh mother he responded bumptiously perhaps you've heard of that mr carrados win carrados this is my man parkinson i have to be attended because my sight has failed me yes i had heard something about coal providence seems to be on your side just now mr whitmarsh may i offer you a cigarette thanks i don't mind for once in a way they are turkish quite innocuous i believe oh it isn't that i can smoke cutty with any man i reckon but the paper affects my lips i make my own and use a sort of paper with an end that doesn't stick the paper is certainly a drawback sometimes agreed carrados i found that might i try one of yours they exchanged cigarettes and whitmarsh returned to the subject of the tragedy this has made a bit of a stir i can tell you he remarked with complacency i am sure it would well it was the chief topic of conversation when i was in london is that a fact avowedly indifferent to the opinion of his neighbours even whitmarsh was not proof against the pronouncement of the metropolis what do they say about it up there i should be inclined to think that the interest centres round the explanation you will give at the inquest of the cause of the quarrel there what did i tell you exclaimed mrs whitmarsh be quiet mother that's easily answered mr carrados there was a bit of duck shooting that lay between our two places but perhaps you saw that in the papers yes admitted carrados i saw that frankly the reason seemed inadequate to so deadly a climax what did i say demanded the irrepressible dame they won't believe it the young man cast a wrathful look in his mother's direction and turned again to the visitor that's because you don't know uncle william any reason was good enough for him to quarrel over here let me give you an instance when i went in on thursday he was smoking a pipe well after a bit i took out a cigarette and lit it i am damned if he didn't turn round and start on me for that how does that strike you for one of your own family mr carrados unreasonable i am bound to admit i am afraid that i should have been inclined to argue the point what did you do mr whitmarsh i hadn't gone there to quarrel replied the young man half sulky at the recollection it was his house i threw it into the fireplace very obliging said carrados but if i may say so it isn't so much a matter of speculation why he should shoot you as why he should shoot himself 
the gentleman seems friendly better ask his advice frank put in the old woman in a penetrating whisper stow it mother said whitmarsh sharply are you crazy her idea of a coroner's inquest he explained to carrados with easy contempt is that i am being tried for murder as a matter of fact uncle william was a very passionate man and like many of that kind he frequently went beyond himself i don't doubt that he was sure he'd killed me for he was a good shot and the force of the blow sent me backwards he was a very proud man too in a way wouldn't stand correction or any kind of authority and when he realized what he'd done and saw in a flash that he would be tried and hanged for it suicide seemed the easiest way out of his difficulties i suppose yes that sounds reasonable enough admitted carrados then you don't think there will be any trouble sir insinuated mrs whitmarsh anxiously frank had already professed his indifference to local opinion but carrados was conscious that both of them hung rather breathlessly on to his reply why no he declared weightily i should see no reason for anticipating any unless he added thoughtfully some clever lawyer was instructed to insist that there must be more in the dispute than appears on the surface oh them lawyers them lawyers moaned the old lady in a panic they can make you say anything they can't make me say anything a cunning look came into his complacent face and besides who's going to engage a lawyer the family of the deceased gentleman wish to do so both of the sons are abroad and could not be back in time but is there not a daughter here i understood so whitmarsh gave a short unpleasant laugh and turned to look at his mother madeline won't you may bet your bottom ticky it's the last thing she would want the little old creature gazed admiringly at her big showy son and responded with an appreciative grimace that made her look more humorously rat-like than ever he he missy won't she tittered that would never do he he wink succeeded nod and meaning smile until she relapsed into a state of quietness and parkinson who had been fascinated by her contortions was unable to decide whether she was still laughing or had gone to sleep carrados stayed a few more minutes and before they left he asked to see the watch a unique memento mr whitmarsh he remarked examining it i should think this would become a family heirloom it's no good for anything else said whitmarsh practically a famous timekeeper it was too the fingers are both gone yes the glass was broken of course and they must have caught in the cloth of my pocket and ripped off they naturally would it was ten minutes past nine when the shot was fired the young man thought and then nodded about that he agreed nearer than about if your watch was correct very interesting mr whitmarsh i am glad to have seen the watch that saved your life instead of returning to the inn carrados directed parkinson to take the road to barony madeline was at home and from the sound of voices it appeared that she had other visitors but she came out to carrados at once 
and at his request took him into the empty dining-room while parkinson stayed in the hall yes she said eagerly i have come to tell you that i must throw up my brief he said there is nothing more to be done and i return to town to-night oh she stammered helplessly i thought i thought your cousin did not abstract the revolver when he was here on thursday miss whitmarsh he did not as his leisure fire a bullet into his own watch to make it appear later in the day as if he had been attacked he did not reload the cartridge with a blank charge he did not deliberately shoot your father and then fire off the blank cartridge he was attacked and the newspaper version is substantially correct the whole fabric so delicately suggested by inference and innuendo falls to pieces then you desert me mr carrados she said in a low bitter voice i have seen the watch the watch that saved whitmarsh's life he continued unmoved it would save it again if necessary it indicates ten minutes past nine the time to a minute at which it is agreed the shot was fired by what prescience was he to know at what exact minute his opportunity would occur when i saw the watch on thursday night the fingers were not there they are not but the shaft remains it is of an old-fashioned pattern and it will only take the fingers in one position that position indicates ten minutes past nine surely it would have been an easy matter to have altered that afterwards in this case fate has been curiously systematic miss whitmarsh the bullet that shattered the works has so locked the action that it will not move a fraction this way or that there is something more than this something that i do not understand she persisted i think i have a right to know since you insist there is there is the word of the blank cartridge that you fired in the outbuilding oh she exclaimed in the moment of startled undefence how do you how can you you must leave the conjurer his few tricks for effect of course you naturally would fire it where the precious pellet could not be lost the paper you steamed off the cigarette that whitmarsh threw into the empty fire grate and of course the place must be some distance from the house or even that slight report might occasion a remark yes she confessed in a sudden abandonment to weary indifference it has been useless i was a fool to set my cleverness against yours now i suppose mr carrados you will have to hand me over to justice well why don't you say something she demanded impatiently as he offered no comment people frequently put me in this embarrassing position he explained diffidently and throw the responsibility on me now a number of years ago a large and stately building was set up in london and it was beautifully called the royal palace of justice that was its official name and that was what it was to be but very soon people got into the way of calling it the law courts and to-day if you asked a londoner to direct you to the palace of justice he would undoubtedly set you down as a religious maniac you see my difficulty 
it is very strange she said intent upon her own reflections but i do not feel a bit ashamed to you of what i have done i do not even feel afraid to tell you all about it although of some of that i must certainly be ashamed why is it because i am blind oh no she replied very positively carrados smiled at her decision but he did not seek to explain that when he could no longer see the faces of men the power was gradually given to him of looking into their hearts to which some in their turn strong free spirits instinctively responded there is such a thing as friendship at first sight he suggested why yes like quite old friends she agreed it is a pity that i had no very trusty friend since my mother died when i was quite little even my father has been it is queer to think of it now well almost a stranger to me really she looked at carrados's serene and kindly face and smiled it is a great relief to be able to talk like this without the necessity for lying she remarked did you know that i was engaged no you had not told me that oh no but you might have heard of it he is a clergyman whom i met last summer but of course that is all over now you have broken it off circumstances have broken it off the daughter of a man who had the misfortune to be murdered might just possibly be tolerated as a vicar's wife but the daughter of a murderer and suicide it is unthinkable you see the requirements for the office are largely social mr carrados possibly your vicar may have other views oh he isn't a vicar yet but he is rather well connected so it is quite assured and he would be dreadfully torn if the choice lay with him as it is he will perhaps rather soon get over my absence but you see if we married he could never get over my presence it would always stand in the way of his preferment i worked very hard to make it possible but it could not be you were even prepared to send an innocent man to the gallows i think so at one time she admitted frankly but i scarcely thought it would come to that there are so many well-meaning people who always get up petitions no as i stand here looking at myself over there i feel that i couldn't quite have hanged frank no matter how much he deserved it you are very shocked mr carrados well admitted carrados with pleasant impartiality i have seen the young man but the penalty even with a reprieve still seems to me a little severe yet how do you know even now that he is as you say an innocent man i don't was the prompt admission i only know in this astonishing case that so far as my investigation goes he did not murder your father by the act of his hand not according to your law courts she suggested but in the great palace of justice well you shall judge she left his side crossed the room and stood by the square ugly window looking out but as blind as carrados to the details of the somnolent landscape i met frank for the first time after i was at all grown up 
about three years ago when i returned from boarding school i had not seen him since i was a child and i thought him very tall and manly it seemed a frightful romantic thing in the circumstances to meet him secretly of course my thoughts flew to romeo and juliet we put impassioned letters for one another in a hollow tree that stood on the boundary hedge but presently i found out gradually and incredulously at first and then one night with a sudden terrible certainty that my ideas of romance were not his i had what is called i believe a narrow escape i was glad when he went abroad for it was only my self-conceit that had suffered i was never in love with him only in love with the idea of being in love with him a few months ago frank came back to high barn i tried never to meet him anywhere but one day he overtook me in the lanes he said that he had thought a lot about me while he was away and would i marry him i told him that it was impossible in any case and besides i was engaged he coolly replied that he knew i was dumbfounded and asked him what he meant then he took out a pocket of my letters that he had kept somewhere all the time he insisted on reading parts of them up and telling me what this and that meant and what everyone would say it proved i was horrified at the construction that seemed capable of being put on my foolish but innocent gush i called him a coward and a blackguard and a mean care and a sneaking cat and everything i could think of in one long breath until i found myself faint and sick with excitement and the nameless growing terror of it he only laughed and told me to think it over and then walked on throwing the letters up in the air and catching them it isn't worth while going into all the times he met and threatened me i was to marry him or he would expose me he would never allow me to marry anyone else and then finally he turned round and said that he didn't really want to marry me at all he only wanted to force father's consent to start mining and this had seemed the easiest way that is what is called blackmail miss whitmarsh a word you don't seem to have applied to him the punishment ranges up to penal servitude for life in extreme cases yes that is what it really was he came on thursday with the letters in his pocket that was his last threat when he could not move me i can guess what happened he read the letters and proposed a bargain and my father who was a very passionate man and very proud in certain ways shot him as he thought and then in shame and in the madness of despair took his own life now mr carrados you were to be my judge i think said the blind man with a great pity in his voice that it will be sufficient for you to come up for judgment when called upon three weeks later a registered letter bearing the liverpool postmark was delivered at the tarwitz after he had read it carrados put it away in a special drawer of his desk and once or twice in after years when his work seemed rather barren 
He took it out and read it. This is what it contained. Dear Mr. Carrados, Some time after you had left me that Sunday afternoon, a man came in the dark to the door and asked for me. I did not see his face, for he kept in the shade, but his figure was not very unlike that of your servant Parkinson. A packet was put into my hands, and he was gone without a word. From this I imagine that perhaps you did not leave quite as soon as you had intended. Thank you very much indeed for the letters. I was glad to have the miserable things to drop them into the fire, and to see them pass utterly out of my own and everybody's else's life. I wonder who else in the world would have done so much for a forlorn creature who just flashed across a few days of his busy life, and then I wonder who else could. But there is something else for which I thank you now, far, far more, and that is for saving me from the blindness of my own passionate folly. When I look back at the abyss of meanness, treachery and guilt into which I would have willfully cast myself and been condemned to live in all my life, I can scarcely trust myself to write. I will not say that I do not suffer now. I think I shall for many years to come, but all the bitterness and I think all the hardness have been drawn out. You will see that I am writing from Liverpool. I have taken a second-class passage to Canada, and we sail tonight. Willie, who returned to Barony last week, has lent me all the money I shall need until I find work. Do not be apprehensive. It is not with the vague uncertainty of an indifferent typist or a downtrodden governess that I go, but as an efficient domestic servant, a capable cook, housemaid, or general, as need be. It sounds rather incredible at first, does it not? But such things happen, and I shall get on very well. Goodbye, Mr. Carrados. I shall remember you very often and very gratefully. Madeline Whitmarsh P.S. Yes, there is friendship at first sight. End of the Tilling Show Mystery by Ernest Brahma and the end of the rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume One, recorded by Andrzej Zalewski.